0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Today we're going to be continuing on literary theory, but we're going to finally move into something that's a little more uh, applied theory than what we have been doing. The last couple podcasts have been about literary theory that kind of analyzes literature itself and what is its meaning and how does it work and why? what is it about it that makes it literature. Um, these are things that are of great interest to Philosophers, or great interest to people who are actually producing literature. For people who wish to look at literature and be able to analyze it, um, there are some other methods of literary theory that we're going to move into. And today we're going to do one of those, and today we're going to be talking about Marxist literary theory. Now, this term itself may turn a lot of people off, and if you do Marxist theory, you're not necessarily a communist. Uh, this is a theory that uses particular lenses that it looks at literature through. Um, you'll find this with all of the ones that we're going to be going into now is that these are particular methods for looking at literature that look at different elements, look at different aspects of it. <clears throat> so for the Marxist, um, two of the big things that they look at are class and economic system and political system. Um, When it comes to class this is going to vary depending on which type of system you're looking at you can apply marxist literary theory to feudal system to capitalism communism socialism or any other uh, system that has uh, classes and has uh, economic and political systems so when you are looking at class for example in something written during the time of the feudal system. It can help you to understand why certain characters behave the way they do. It can help you to understand why certain things um, happen and why they happen the way they happen. For example, if you're reading a story and it's set in the feudal system and you have a peasant standing alongside the road and a nobleman comes up and slaps the peasant and says, be here tomorrow so I can slap you again. and Tomorrow comes and the peasant is standing there waiting to be slapped. Now, for most of us, we would think this is pretty ridiculous. Why would this peasant put up with this and not just slap the nobleman back? But under the feudal system, were a peasant to strike a nobleman, this would be considered an act of rebellion. It would, at best, uh, the peasant would end up in prison, possibly end up being executed. So a lot of the behaviors of people are determined by class in the feudal system. You know, if you have a man who is in a a story during this time who's very bright, very handsome, uh, but he's a peasant, you're never going to see him marrying the queen or marrying even aristocracy. Part of that is that in this time period uh, in the feudal system, you could not move up or down the ladder. If you were born a peasant, you would die a peasant. If you were born royalty, you died royalty. Um, So there was only the ability to move up or down slightly within your own social class. So if you were aristocracy, you might move up a little higher in aristocracy um, by marrying someone higher up, uh, but you could never move up all the way into uh, royalty. You, You would have a the royalty was a particular set of bloodlines and if you weren't born into those, you had no chance to get into those. Um, <clears throat> in uh, capitalism, I uh, often like to think that there are no classes, but as you examine capitalism, you'll see that there are definitely classes. So if you look at a story where someone grows up in a uh, very poor rural area or poor inner-city area, and you have, you know, a struggle that they have and they're unable to overcome this struggle and from the outside as a reader you say, well, why didn't you just go to college or why didn't you just apply for a loan or do, you know, any of these other things that might get you out of that situation? Well, the answer is those things are not really things that are readily available or even necessarily readily known. Uh, one of the things about uh, being raised in a particular class environment is you have role models around you that are of the same class and so your choices are going to be determined many times by well, what do other people in my class do in this situation Um, it's only the very few who are brighter than average uh, who actually have the ability to rise from one class to another Uh, Capitalism does have a little more room for social mobility, but not as much as we would like to believe. Uh, Odds are if you're born in the lower class, you will probably die in the lower class. Odds are if you were born in the upper class, you will probably stay there, Um, mainly because you will be going to better schools, you'll be knowing families that are connected to wealth in different areas and you have many more opportunities for advancement and for re-establishing your presence. For example, one of the advantages of schools like Harvard and Yale for the people who go there is not necessarily that the education is that much better than the other colleges, but the people who are there are parts of very wealthy elite families. And so as you co with fellow students, with professors, you are meeting people who are stationed in the upper uh, levels of society, which means they can open doors for you. you know, being on a first-name basis with someone who is big in the banking business is going to make it much easier for you to get large business loans. It's also going to make it easier for you to know how to get those loans. <clears throat> so it, in a, in a lot of ways class, even under capitalism, will establish your opportunities or lack thereof. Now the only class that really seems to have much ability to move up and down to a good degree is the middle class. They have a pretty good ability to move up or down the ladder. And this is partially because middle class people generally have a wider range of people they will know. They will know a few people from the upper classes, they will know few people from the lower classes, and so they will have a broader base um, from which to base their understanding. They'll also have an education that is much better than you would get in a uh, poor area in those schools, and not quite as good as what you would get in the upper class schools. But it does give you some ability if you're above average in intelligence to move up the ladder. Now one of the critiques that Marxist criticism aims at capitalism is that capitalism often leads to alienation. And alienation is basically where you are uh, not able to be in the present. You're not able to be connected to the rest of the world. Um, for example, it creates alienation in wealth, um, regardless of how much you have. Because no matter how much money you have under capitalism, you still are supposed to try to get more. If you're the wealthiest person in the world, you can't just stop earning money. Because the person behind you will pass you up and then you will no longer be the wealthiest person in the world. So there's a constant need to get more, more money, more possessions. There's never a line where it says, This is enough, you can stop here. In fact, people who do stop at a certain level of wealth are often viewed negatively. They're viewed as lazy, they're viewed as slackers, and, um, you know, there's a sense that well you should be doing more you have ten million dollars why don't you turn that into a hundred million why don't you turn that into a billion why don't you turn that into ten billion and so there's an alienation from ever being able to get to the goal monetarily there's also an alienation from other people because under capitalism everything seems to fall under a dollar value Um, people can help you get to where you want to go have a higher value. People who can't help you, who will hold you back, have a lower value. And so our relationships tend to be very much value-based. You are a worthwhile person to be around because you can do X, Y, and Z for me. You are a liability um, to be around because you will just drag me down and you can't do these things for me. Even looking at the terminology, someone being a liability, This is strictly an economic term that now becomes applied to people. So everything and everyone under capitalism starts to be viewed as a thing, a thing with a price tag, uh, including yourself. So you can never be satisfied with what you are because you always have to be more. Capitalism also tends to alienate people as far as time. And this is one of the big alienations um, and that we are never in the moment we're in. While I'm sitting where I am at work, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do when I get home. When I'm at home, I think about when I've got to come back to work. Uh, when I'm working regularly, I think about when do I get to go back and get to go on vacation. Once I'm on vacation, most of what I can think about is I don't want to have to go back to work. So it kind of alienates you also from the present. You're always looking. To some other time rather than the time period you're in. There's no moment where you can just sit there and breathe and experience the now. You always have to think about where you're going next. Um, this alienation causes anxiety. You know, if we're alienated from everyone and everything and alienated even from ourselves, this is not a pleasant state to be in you're in a constant state of agitation and anxiety because you don't have the ability to just relax and breathe in the now so when you look at um, works that are written under capitalism one of the ones that comes to mind in particular uh, for me is Death of a Salesman Um, Willie Lohman is the main character in Death of a Salesman and He's never in the present. Willie is always either flashing back into his history or he is thinking about some grand future that is going to occur. Um, He's never allowing himself to just sit and experience the moment he's experiencing. Everything is delayed. And Willie also um, sees himself as a failure because he didn't turn out to be extremely wealthy and that's the goal of capitalism. You have to be wealthy. You're either number one or you're the first loser if you're number two. Uh, Willie is unable to see the things that he actually did um, such as maintained his home throughout the depression when most other people lost their homes um, and managed to do it in a business that suffered greatly during the depression uh, as a salesman. So it never allows him to be satisfied with who he is where he is or what he has and this leads him to um, have breakdowns in all of his relationships his relationships with his son his relationships with his wife and his relationships with himself Um, i'm going to break off uh, for now on this i don't want to go too deeply into these, but as we go through with some of these podcasts, I will be doing more in-depth analysis of particular pieces of literature using the various uh, types of criticism that we'll be talking about. In my next podcast, I will be talking about psychological criticism, and the one after that we will be doing feminist criticism, and the one after that we will be doing cultural criticism. Uh, And from there, we will go into much more depth on particular pieces of literature so that you can see how these work out in actually applying them. I hope you are all doing well, and I will talk to you soon.